Welcome and thank you for listening to the Okuo Church Podcast. We exist so that people will be in community with Jesus and one another. We'll do that by listening to God, loving people, leading by empowering others, and linking to our community. We hope you enjoy it. Yo, what's up, Akua? Welcome back to the community and welcome back to our series entitled The Beginning. As many of you guys know, this series was inspired by the word that God gave our church for the year 2022. That word being sturdy. And what we believe this means for us is that we need to make sure that our faith and our belief is sturdy and built upon the firm foundation that is Jesus. Because if we don't have our lives centered and built upon the solid rock of Jesus, then we're placed on shifting sand. Here's how Jesus laid it out. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock but anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. So for us to be truly sturdy in 2022, we need to have our entire lives built upon Jesus. But before we jump into the message and try to do that, let's take a moment to open our hearts to whatever Jesus wants to speak to us today. Here, go go ahead and pray along with me. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for allowing us to gather in community to worship you and learn more about you. Please open our hearts, our minds, and our souls to the message you want us to hear today. And we pray this all in your glorious, powerful name, the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. All right. So we're gonna jump straight into it, guys, because we were left on a cliffhanger last week while in John 9. This is where Jesus heals a man born blind by spitting into some dirt, placing it on the man's eyes, and sending him to the pool of Siloam, where the Pharisees were in the middle of celebrating their religious festival. And all of this is remarkably strange if you've been paying close attention, because earlier in John's account of Jesus's ministry, we learned a very important fact that Jesus could heal with simply a word. Remember the paralyzed man that sat next to a different pool of water whom Jesus healed with a simple command of stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. So knowing this, why would Jesus not do that again with the blind man? Why do it with dirt and spit? Well. Perhaps Jesus' intention was to offer sight to more than just a man with mud on his eyes. Jesus had just claimed to be the light of the world, and in opening the blind man's eyes in this way, Jesus was living up to that claim by extending that healing not just to the blind man's physical blindness, but also offering vision and truth to the spiritually blind Pharisees. The method of this miracle was meant to be a very intentional challenge of the Pharisees' flawed religious ways, and it was meant to capture their attention. And it sure did. But instead of accepting Jesus' truth and turning from their ways, the Pharisees were infuriated and rejected Jesus when he pointed out their blindness. Here's how the disciple John documented this intense interaction. 
Jesus said, I entered into this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, are you saying that we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. Man, Jesus holds absolutely nothing back and totally calls him out after causing that great disruption in the middle of their grand festival. But for whatever reason, the chapter cuts right here at what seems to be the height of the dispute, which is so unfortunate because Jesus' response to this conflict carries over immediately into the following chapter, chapter 10. So that's where we're gonna pick up with an illustration Jesus gives of a shepherd and sheep to again offer the Pharisees true sight in lieu of their own spiritual blindness. Jesus, the light of the world, continues his rebuke like this. Very truly, I tell you Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is a shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens a gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls out his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. So Jesus didn't just call them blind, but now he also calls them thieves and robbers. Here, Jesus is directly challenging the Pharisees' authority in voicing matters relating to God's kingdom and his people because they haven't rightfully earned that right. And even though I'm no Bible expert and this illustration can be a bit foreign and outdated to us, I mean, to be quite honest, all I know about sheep has come from like Charlotte's Web and watching Wallace and Gromit. But even I can understand the point that Jesus is making. All right, so this is it. The pen is God's kingdom, which is the salvation of God's people. The gate is Jesus because he's the one who bridges the gap separating us from a perfect God. And the shepherd is also Jesus because he's a trusted voice that calls us to life with God. Yet the Pharisees were stuck in their spiritual blindness and they still could not understand what Jesus was telling them. So in his grace, Jesus decides to explain it all again. And here is how John lays it out for us. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. But even after this, after repeating himself and connecting the dots for them, the Pharisees still did not want to listen. And predictably, Jesus likening them to thieves, robbers, and now cowards didn't win him any points with them. 
especially after what he had already done to crash their pool party right before. John informs us that this combination of festival crashing and truth dropping created great division amongst the Jewish people. So much so that they soon surrounded him and demanded an answer from Jesus saying, if you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify of me. I and the Father are one. And that truth is what proved to be too much. That was the last straw for the Pharisees. On top of breaking Sabbath law, completely ruining the religious ceremony, insulting their prestigious position, Jesus is now blaspheming by claiming to be one with God. They simply would not stand for it. The people were so enraged that they began to pick up stones in order to kill Jesus. But John lets us know that he managed to evade arrest and escape some 20 miles east to the other side of the Jordan River. Now, this is an important detail for us to remember because the river served as a natural border separating the land of Judea, where Jesus was just about to be killed, and Perea, where he found safety because on the other side of that river started that new territory. And there, the Jewish leaders no longer had the authority to arrest Jesus. So as long as they weren't in Judea, Jesus and his disciples were safe from those persecuting them. And even in what seemed to be Jesus running away and a detrimental position to be placed in, Jesus still proved that he was a good shepherd, the good shepherd he said he was. While over at the Jordan River, many people still followed him and came to believe in Jesus. Like he himself said, the sheep listen to his voice and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. So, so far in John's telling of Jesus' life, Jesus has lived up to everything he said he was. When he quenched the woman at the well's thirst, he claimed to be the living water. And he fed 5,000 people while letting everyone know that he was the bread of life. And he restored sight to the blind man when presenting himself as the light of the world. And now he was proving to be the good shepherd whose voice his sheep followed. But that was only part of the good shepherd's job description, right? Yes, Jesus told the people that the good shepherd's voice would be recognized, but he also said that the good shepherd came so that they may have not just any life, but life to the full, and that he was willing to lay down his own life for his flock. And ready or not, Jesus was going to show everyone especially his disciples, exactly what it took in order to be a good shepherd. As he and, and the disciples were hanging around the Jordan River, they received a message from two sisters who were in dire need of Jesus's assistance. So let's continue on in John's telling of Jesus's life. John 11 starts like this. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, the one you love is sick. All right, all right. So I wanna stop us here and point out some interesting details about the way John writes this. 
The first one is pretty simple. You may have already noticed it without being fully aware of what's happening. I've heard some scholars give it a fancy name, calling it the emphatic triplet. But take away the fancy name, and basically all it is is repetition. In the first century Jewish culture, one would repeat something three times for maximum emphasis. Here's a quick example. Instead of writing that God is holy, Jews would write that he is holy, holy, holy. That God is unbelievably holy. So the triple repetition really stresses a point and serves as a clue for us to pay close attention to whatever the author is repeating. In this instance, John makes use of this to communicate to us just how drastic Lazarus' condition was. He goes, now a man named Lazarus was sick. And then you can, you can skip forward and read, her brother, Mary's brother, Lazarus, was sick. And then in the message that was sent to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, even without that piece of cultural context, we can understand the idea he's trying to get across, right? Lazarus was sick sick. Lazarus was dying. Now, to jump ahead, one of the other fascinating parts of the way John writes this is found in the way he communicates Jesus' great love for Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And in this one bit, it's a little bit easier to skip over if we're not reading carefully. In the passage, John finds it important enough to note that one of the sisters, Mary, would go on to later anoint Jesus' feet with perfume, something that wouldn't happen until a later section of his account. So why would he give that detail so early? My theory is that John, for one, is trying to distinguish between the multiple Marys that appear in the scriptures, but also two, is trying to point us towards a deep love that exists between Jesus and the family. He signals this love with a seemingly random statement. And then he mentions it again with the way he describes Lazarus. When mentioning Lazarus, John writes that he was announced to Jesus as the one Jesus loves. And I find this quite funny because John used a similar phrase the disciple whom Jesus loved, when referring to, guess who? Himself. Now this title only appears in John's gospel and it would always be used to refer to only himself. I mean, I guess if John's gonna go through the trouble of writing the book, he might as well throw it in, right? But seemingly, he didn't mind sharing it a little bit in this instance. So that love, that special title, must have been pretty important to communicate to us, right? So we need to pay attention. Now, I also think there's one last indicator to show us that Jesus did, in fact, really love the family. Though the sisters were absolutely desperate for Lazarus to receive help and healing, they did not ask Jesus for this directly. The message sent to Jesus simply stated, Lord, the one you love is sick. It wasn't an explicit request. Hey, Jesus, Lazarus, who you love is dying. Please come and heal him. The sisters believed that Jesus loved them all so much that they could appeal to Jesus' love by merely mentioning the situation. And they hoped that once Jesus was made aware of Lazarus' condition, he would act. So let's continue reading and find out exactly how the loving good shepherd was going to display this love for them. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. 
No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Oh man, there is a lot of tension in this paragraph when you get to unpacking it. Firstly, upon receiving the news of Lazarus's illness, Jesus doesn't immediately go. Instead, he waits for two days because he loves Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He loves them, but he stays? That seems so backwards to me. And yes, I know and understand that Jesus said his sickness will not end in death, but still, it doesn't really match the image I have in my head of what a good shepherd would do for someone he loves. Yet John, who in a later writing would pen the revolutionary idea that God is love, is convinced that Jesus loved the family even in his delay going back to Judea. Because going back to Judea was going to take a lot of love. Remember Judea? The Judea that Jesus was 20 miles across on the other side of the Jordan River from. His disciples sure did. When Jesus let them know that he was planning to go back, they objected and for good reason. After all, just a few days ago, Jesus had just enraged the Pharisees to the point of them attempting to stone him to death. Jesus was a wanted man on the other side of that river, but Jesus needed to show that he was indeed the good shepherd who was willing to lay down his life for his flock. And I guess it's better late than never, right? John recounts how Jesus convinced him and everyone else to go back into this hostile territory. Here's how he writes it. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant that Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there, for now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Then Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. So up until this point, we and the disciples did not know that Lazarus was dead. This would have come as an absolute surprise because after all, Jesus said that his illness would not end in death. But now Jesus appears to be going back on his word after staying and waiting for two days. And Lazarus is dead. So of all the times to go back to Judea, why does he want to go now? I mean, Lazarus has already died. And then Jesus is going to get stoned to death. And the disciples aren't going to be getting any luckier, it seems. In response to the heaviness of the entire situation, the disciples were speechless. With the exception of doubting Thomas, who lets out a sarcastic, well, I guess everyone's dead or dying. I guess we may as well join in and die too. But unlike Thomas, Jesus wasn't being facetious when he said he was a good shepherd who was willing to lay down his life for his sheep. So he led the disciples onwards towards a very possible death. And upon their arrival, death did greet them in Judea. When Jesus arrives into Lazarus's town, he is told that Lazarus has already been dead and has been in the grave for four days. 
four excruciatingly agonizing couple of days that the sisters have been mourning the loss of their brother, wondering why the Good Shepherd did not arrive to help him. Martha and Mary placed their hopes in Jesus' love coming to the rescue, but how can you exactly react when love arrives four days too late? When your loved one's body has already been placed in the tomb and begun to rot and decompose. Both sisters had the exact same broken-hearted reply for Jesus. Both of them said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Clearly, both of these sisters believed that Jesus' physical presence was life-sustaining. Both believed that if the person of Jesus was here, if only he had been right here, like right next to their brother, Jesus, the good shepherd, would have been able to keep him alive. They believed that his power would only work when he was physically next to them. But that's not the fullness of who Jesus is or the fullness of how he loves. Remember, Jesus is a good shepherd who is willing to lay down his life for his sheep. The sheep who, the sheep who listen to his voice, the sheep who Jesus has come for in order to give them life and life to the full. Now Jesus answers the first sister, Martha, and her mournful cry with this. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise again when everyone else rises at the last day. But Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now Jesus loves perfectly, and he loves Martha enough to use this tragic loss to help open her eyes to the incomplete view of Jesus she held. You see, when Martha agrees that her brother would rise again at the last day, Martha is only seeing part of the truth, a part of this life and life to the full Jesus promises. When Jesus asks her if she believes, he's not asking her if she thinks there is a resurrection. She already said she did. Jesus is asking her if she believes that he is the resurrection and the life. He is pointing her not to the event or to a doctrine found in the Jewish scriptures, but to the savior and the person of the resurrection, to the sturdy person of Jesus. You see, when you are sick, you want a doctor, not a medical book. When you are being sued, you want a lawyer, not a law book. And likewise, when you face your last enemy in death, you want a savior and not a doctrine written in a book. So when Martha replies, yes, Lord, she replies, I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God who has come into the world. She is agreeing with this. And immediately after affirming her faith in who Jesus said he was, the life and the resurrection, she runs over to tell her sister, Mary, that Jesus, the life, is here. When she finds out, Mary rushes over to Jesus' feet weeping, and Jesus is deeply moved and weeps with her before asking to be led to where Lazarus had been laid for four days. Once he arrived at the tomb, the stage was set for the good shepherd to fully demonstrate that he truly was the resurrection and the life. You see, in Jesus' four-day delay, Lazarus' body had time to begin to rot and decay. 
And with this, it would have avoided the problem of the Jewish belief that a person's spirit would linger around the body for three days before departing. Would have Jesus performed that miracle within that three-day window, Jews could have easily dismissed the miracle as a person's spirit simply returning to the body. So when Jesus requested the stone be moved from Lazarus's tomb, everyone could rest assured that Lazarus was absolutely dead and that Jesus was absolutely raising the dead. Standing at the open entrance of the tomb, Jesus looked up, thanked God, and then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his faith wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. And with just the sound of his recognizable voice calling out his name, Jesus proved his love for his sheep. And he led Lazarus out of death and into new life. This sickness indeed did not end in death, but glorified God's Son. For the good shepherd called many sheep to the person of life and to the person of resurrection, to Jesus himself. From Lazarus to Martha to Mary to his disciples to the many Jews who believed after witnessing his power and authority, even over death. Jesus truly was the Messiah, our Savior. Yet even this was only but a glimpse of his full glory. The beautiful irony of all of this is that the miracle in his calling the dead back to life led to Jesus' own life being laid down on a torturous cross that would eventually prove to be the ultimate victory over sin and death. And through his loving sacrifice, the good shepherd spirit has come to speak and to call everyone who will listen to life and to life to the full, to a life with Jesus. And perhaps you're hearing the good shepherd's voice calling you right now. Whether you've been spiritually blind like the Pharisees, stuck in your empty religion, needing your eyes open to the truth of Jesus. Or whether you're like doubting Thomas, who spends his days with Jesus, but will still run into times where he lacks faith and confidence in him. Or perhaps you're like Mary and Martha, who have lost the fullness of who Jesus is whilst in the middle of your own pain and suffering. Or maybe you've been dead like Lazarus and need a complete revival. Jesus came to speak to us all, and he proved to be greater than all of our failures. So if that's you, I encourage you to listen and respond to his voice right now by simply praying a prayer to help us focus fully on what Jesus is calling us to. And the cool as you guys already know, nobody prays alone here, so let's all pray this together as a community. Pray this along with me. Jesus, I give you my life. That's it, just pray that along with me. Jesus, I give you my life. For whatever that means for you in this moment, just allow Jesus to lead you in that. Jesus, I give you my life. It is all yours. I freely give it to you. And Jesus, I thank you for being the light of the world that opens my eyes to your truth. Jesus, I thank you for being the good shepherd who calls me to himself in love. Jesus, I thank you for proving to be the resurrection and the life that gives us hope and the future. And Jesus, thank you for being the complete and sufficient sacrifice that brings me back into relationship with you. I pray that if there is anything keeping me from fully relying on you, 
that you help me to replace that with who you are, Jesus. Please open my eyes and lead me in this life. So the best I know how right now, I believe in who you are and choose to follow you with all my heart, all my soul, and all my mind. In Jesus' mighty name, the only name that saves, everyone said, amen. Well, hey guys, thank you so much for spending time with us today. And before we close out, I, I wanna make sure that we all know what's going on here at Akuo because I don't want you to miss out an opportunity for you uh, to experience God in your life or to use you to work in other people's lives. Now, first off, we have a bunch of community groups that have been going on for a few weeks now, and I want you to be able to find the one that's for you because God created us for community. That's our mission statement. We exist to be in community with God and one another. And I can tell you it is so life-giving to be a part of one that you need to experience it. So if you're interested in being a part of one of these groups, you can see all the groups that we currently have available at akuo.church community. Now the next thing I want to mention is how we worship through sacrificially being generous here at Akuo, through sacrificial generosity. Now there are many ways to do it, but no matter how you are being generous to the church, we want you to be listening to the Good Shepherd's voice to see how much he wants you to be giving. If you aren't sure where to start, one of the many ways that you can express your generosity here at Akuo is through the biblical method of generosity called tithing. And all that means is giving a first fruit 10% offering to the storehouse, which is your local church. And that's a great place for you to start. And once you start there, all you have to do is sit down, listen and pray to see if that's how God wants you to continue being sacrificially generous. Again, we want you to listen to him. That's what we stand for. So just listen to him in this discipline. Now, that might not be a possibility for you right now. You know, things might've gotten a little tough for you and your family. And if things have gotten tough and you need help, please allow us to link to you in this, op in this time. We wanna be linked to you during this rough time. So if you need anything at all, please, please, please reach out to us. Or if you know someone that needs help, let us know. All you have to do in order to let us know is go to our website, akuo.church, and click on the Contact Us link. Or you can send us an email directly at help at akuo.church. And you can also call or text the church directly at 210-901-8785. But if you are willing to tithe here at Akuo, uh, the way you can do that is by going to our website, akuo.church. Once you get there, all you have to do is click on the giving link and follow the instructions. We also have a text to tithe option, which is my preferred method. It's the easiest one, where all you have to do is text AKUO, A-K-O-U-O, and the dollar amount you want to tithe to the number 77977. But if you don't wanna give electronically, we also have our PO box where you can mail in a check, simply by sticking it in an envelope and mailing it over to the address. Now, I do want to highlight one more way that you can give here at Akuo, and it's by lending your time and your skills to the church by joining an A-team. There's several different areas you can serve if you feel called to sacrificially give in that way. So pull up the QR code or visit our website to see where you might fit in to what God is wanting to do through you here at Akuo Church. 
All right, guys, that's all that we have for you. Thanks for sticking around. And before I let you go and before you close up all your stuff and get on with your day, I just wanna pray over you one last time. So go ahead and pray along with me. Father, I thank you so much for this community. I thank you for every family represented here. I thank you for all that you're doing to speak to us in the manners that you will go to the lengths and the depths to display your love in our lives. I pray that we can be sensitive to what you're doing and that we can walk throughout the day knowing that you are with us and that with you we have life and life to the full. We thank you again, Lord. We can't wait to experience you even more next time. And we pray all these things in your, in your name, Jesus. Everyone said amen. All right, guys. That's all we have now. See you next week or I'll see you at a community group. Later. Thanks for spending time with us today. You can find this message and any recent sermon available on demand at our website, akuo.church. That's A-K-O-U-O dot church. Also, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Akuo Church. Welcome to the community. We hope to hear from you soon.